Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like some Hello and welcome back to the like podcast As always up to speed with Formula One This is Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton And of course, Mr. TS or Mr. TSN, I was gonna say Mr. Tim Haraney <laughs> TSN Racing Pod in the house Boys, good evening A very, very busy week of Formula One behind us no breath or no time to catch your breath uh, this weekend. We got a sprint race in Austria. Ton of news going on. I don't even really know where to start. But uh, guys, are we excited for Austria after what we saw in Silverstone last weekend? Tim, you're nodding your head. I'm taking that as, as a big yes from you. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think we know uh, how things uh, turned out at Silverstone. I mean, what a race. Absolutely incredible. And I think we're on for another good one uh, this coming weekend. Should be some rain on Friday and uh, potential for rain in the race on Sunday. Well, after Captain, you know, rain last couple of weeks, first in qualifying in Canada, and then it, we saw it again last week at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. Awesome. It just throws in that uh, degree of unpredictability. And I say more rain, bring it on. Mm -hmm. But of course, I do come from Vancouver where it rains 340 days out of the year. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Hamilton, you're sitting there with a big grin on your face. How's, how's your week been? You ready you for know, this one? Very much so. And, and you know, and Tim knows, my entire life is an emotional roller coaster. Things are either great or they're <laughs> terrible. And I was feeling really down on the Formula One season going into the British Grand Prix. And after after that race, the, the results, some of the progress that we've seen some of the teams demonstrate, like I, I have this renewed optimism in terms of what the rest of the season could be. And I'm really glad that we didn't have a significant break between the two Grand Prix before we kick off in Austria. And of course, you know, we, we talk about Silverstone being the home track of Mercedes and, and McLaren and Aston Martin. Well, Austria is absolutely the home track. It's owned by Red Bull. And I can't wait to see what the turnout looks like uh, for, for that team and for Max Verstappen this weekend. Well, they're predicting a record 300,000 people are going to go out to the Red Bull ring this weekend, which I'm sure a large portion of them are going to make the trip down from Holland. It's only going to take them a couple to several hours, so quite uh, doable. And this is going to be the fifth trip to the Red Bull ring in two years or three seasons, I guess you could say. I mean, we had the Austrian and Styrian Grand Prix back to back in 2020 and 2021 in these rearranged and ad-libbed COVID uh, <laughs> adjusted seasons. But it's a cool track. It's a, it's a short lap compared to some of the other places we go to. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we got a couple of reminders. First of all, just to kind of set the tone for tonight, I'm just going to go run down the 2022 Formula One World Championship standings. On the driver's side, Max Verstappen leading the way with 181 points in front of his teammate Sergio Perez on 147. Charles Leclerc, the Ferrari driver, 138. Charles, I was going to say Charles Sainz, so that's a bit of a kind of a weird mashup. Nobody asked for it, but Carlos Sainz, the second <laughs> Ferrari driver, fourth with 127. George Russell, 
the Mercedes driver, 111, and Lewis Hamilton, the second Mercedes driver, 93 points. Over on the constructor's side, we'll just run down the top uh, three here. On the constructor's side, where I got, I've got it all mixed up here, we've got Red Bull on top, 328, Ferrari, 265, and Mercedes, 204. They're just miles ahead of everyone else. McLaren, fourth in the World Championship, or the Constructors' World Championship. They have 73 points, so they're a country mile behind uh, everyone else. Uh, Mark, you wanted to give a quick fantasy update uh, before we get into it. Yeah, the first thing to to call out when I look at this at a high level is that seven of the top 10 teams are, are British-based. So congratulations to our British audience. You you clearly are very, very uh, adept at picking fantasy teams. So number one, uh, Andrew T continues to reign amongst the 2,033 entries that we got this year. He has 2,131 points. Number two, Thaddeus F, also from the UK, 2,079 points. Number three, from Canada, Adam J, 2,076 points. Number four, Ludwig Y, 2,055 points. Number five, Christopher N, 2,052 points. Number six, Whitman R, 2,035 points. Number seven, Bradley P, 2,013 points. Number eight from the UK also, Marshall W, 2,010 points. Uh, tied for number eight, we have another entry from the U or from the UK, Zebulin N, 2,010 points. A new entry breaking into the top 10. And then number 10, rounding out the top 10 also from the UK, Delbert D. And our promise is that we were going to finalize the swag, the prizes. Um, it's going to be a combination. We know we're going to be giving away a race weekend subscription. Uh, we're probably going to be giving away a unique piece of artwork and we'll probably be giving away a couple pieces of our own merch once it's finalized. Finalized, and that should be ready by the time we wrap up the season. So, congratulations to everybody that's entering. There is still half a season left, so don't give up on your fantasy team left. There's lots of races left. Cool, uh, Mark. You had a couple other uh, reminders. You hinted at nicely about the merch, uh, also some upcoming interviews and uh, things that we got going on in the background. So, why don't you just uh, let everybody know what we got going on, and then we can get yeah, into absolutely. The, uh, the meat of the program. Just to- just a couple of housekeeping updates. Again, we've promised that we're going to get that merch. Uh, I think we were very optimistic that we would deliver it for the summer, but it's probably going to be the fall. Uh, it's going to be a limited run hoodies principally to start. So I think the timing should be good. Again, the thing that's taking a little bit longer is we really want the best quality stuff. We're not simply sending our logo off to some company to mass print screen, some junk to send out. Like We want this to be quality custom stitch stuff. So excited about that. Don't forget as well, I mentioned Race Weekend Magazine a couple of minutes ago. We do have a promotion with Race Weekend Magazine. If you're interested and you subscribe, you can save 10% using the Scuderia pod promo code. Highly recommended. Highly encourage you to check that out. And we've secured a couple of really exciting upcoming interviews. Probably a little too early to say this, but uh, for July 27th, which will probably drop during the summer break, we have Trey Kirby of No Break slash No Dunks in The Athletic. Um, and we had a great conversation yesterday with uh, Kevin Clark of The Ringer and The F1 Pod, and he will be joining us in August for another summer podcast release. So some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Mark, I noticed you also had a bit of an interesting stat here, courtesy your favorite place to deep dive on Formula One, and that's the Formula One subreddit. But this was kind of an interesting one. And then followed up by Lewis's Spotify playlist that he put together for Silverstone 2022. So, so where's which, Tim, which by the you- way? Tim is in the garages, he's in the paddock, he's interviewing people, he's going through the stat books, he's a historian of the sport. I bring up the Reddit app on my phone and scroll through (laughs) until I see interesting graphs and I screenshot them. So that is my half-assed internet research for this podcast. But just a couple really quick ones that I thought were interesting. So Autosports has indicated that the drivers with the longest consecutive list or... 
length of seasons in which they've led by at least one lap is this. So Lewis Hamilton has led by at least one lap in 16 consecutive seasons, which is crazy. Uh, Michael Schumacher was 15, Sebastian Vettel 13, which is surprising because you assume he's had a couple of down years. Uh, Fernando Alonso, 12. I had Prost 11 and Senna 10. And then just one other really quick stat that I found on Reddit, and this is credit to E-M-K-A-E-R-R, who produces some really, really great visuals and stats. I thought this was interesting. Following Russell's DNF this weekend, of course, his first DNF of the season, he'd finished in the top five in all of the races. Hamilton is now the leader in laps completed this year. Out of a total 588 possible laps, Lewis has completed 587, meaning that he's completed 99.8% of all laps this season, which is pretty cool. To give you a little bit of context, Stroll's finished 580, which is probably a surprise for a lot of people at home, assuming you know he struggled this year. Esteban Ocon 572, Ricardo 571, Norris 570, Verstappen 565, Latifi 546. And then in terms of laps driven by teams, this was a surprise to me. McLaren as a team has completed the most laps this season, 1,141, followed by Aston Martin, 1,128. Uh, Mercedes is on that list, 1,123. And then Red Bull kind of rounds out the top four at 11. Hundred laps. So it's interesting that reliability doesn't always translate into results. And you've got a couple of teams that are demonstrating great reliability in McLaren and Aston Martin, but aren't necessarily delivering the results in the Constructors Championship standings. Very interesting. Okay. So, uh, well, do you want to talk, uh, talk about Lewis's uh, Silverstone 2022 play? Well, it bears a quick mention, I think. I, I feel embarrassed having this on the agenda tonight, given that we've got Tim here, who's a, like a real dyed-in-the-wool Formula One journalist, and here I am reading off Lewis's <laughs> Silverstone playlist. But Lewis published his Spotify playlist. And by the way, I am an Apple Music guy all the way. I like Spotify, but I'm an Apple Music guy. Uh, he published his play, uh, Spotify playlist for Silverstone, and just a couple of interesting things that I saw on there. Paper Planes by MIA, which is a great song. I thought that was fantastic. He's got a little bit of grime on there. He's got a little bit of Queen. Uh, interesting stuff, and it was a little bit more eccentric and a little bit more diversified than I would have expected. But if that's what it takes to get onto a podium every weekend, all the power to him and, and Spotify for producing that uh, playlist for us. Well, I guess we know what Carlos Sainz is a uh, Spotify playlist. It's just smooth operator just put on repeat. <laughs> He's just going to loop that all day long. Okay, uh, next stat is kind of a cool one. I want uh, Tim to weigh on this one. This one comes from at the uh, at F1.line, and it's a comparison of uh, points scored for each uh, team so far in the 2022 World Championship. So on top, you got Red Bull. So this year, RBR has 328 points compared to 289 at this point after 10 races in 2021. Ferrari 265 compared to 148 a year ago. 204 for Mercedes compared to 285. McLaren, this is not a good trend. Last year they had 163. This year they have 73. Alfa Romeo at 2022, 41 points compared to two points this time last year. Alfa Tauri, or sorry, Alpine, pardon me, 67 compared to 40 a year ago. Alfa Tauri, another team that's sagging a bit. They had 49 after 10 races in 2021 compared to 27 this year. Haas has just been going up 20 points compared to no points scored this time last year. Aston Martin, another team that's lagging behind where they were this time last year. In 21, they had 48 points. Right now, they have 18. And Williams, little old Williams, also in the, the, the positive side. Last year, they had zero. 
this year they have three. Which which one do you want to bite off uh, first there, Tim? There's some very interesting trends when you look at who's scoring what points this year. Yeah, that Ferrari one's pretty interesting, eh? I mean, if you Absolutely. think about it, if you think about it, if it wasn't for uh, some of the, the DNFs that they've had or some of the strategic errors that they've gone through, that, that actually, that points would be <laughs> way higher uh, for this season than it is right now, 265. I find that really interesting. And then obviously with Mercedes, right, they've stay, taken a step back in terms of performance. Um, but with, with Red Bull, uh, again, yeah, you know, if you take a look at that number 289, I think that number from t- 2021 could have been pretty close to what it is now if it wasn't for, I believe, Max's tire failure in Azerbaijan and there was something else. And then we had the Silverstone uh, incident as well. Uh, so that that number, I think, uh, daily should be, could be, or would have been, I should say, uh, a lot higher than, than, than what it was at that point in time. Yeah, totally. I think uh, you can make the argument for 21 and 22. I mean, uh, like you say, there was they left a bunch of uh, points on the table after 10 races last year. Mm. And of course, Sergio wasn't bringing the points home because he was still finding his feet. I mean, he's doing a much more effective job this year. But look at all the DNFs that they've had and the mechanical issues that they've had and and uh, Max scoring uh, or you know, getting points for seventh uh, last weekend. So that 21 total could be higher. 22 could be much higher as well. I mean, that's the scary thing if you're a Ferrari who, like you so correctly said, have left left a ton of points out on the track. Mercedes, I mean, that is a big delta. I mean, it is almost at 80 points, but it's not quite as horrible as maybe... McLaren. We, we meet, yeah, well, McLaren's really quite shocking. I mean, they're scoring less than 50% of the points that they did a year ago. That's really quite uh, shocking. Alpine, I think, is uh, it's an improvement. It, it's modest, but they're trending in the right uh, direction. I wonder how much we can credit to uh, you know the guidance of the team under Otmar Safnauer, who's a guy I rate pretty highly. Tim, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think it's uh, pr- pretty solid. I mean, ever since Otmar has come over to that team, it's just been upgrade after upgrade after upgrade, and the car keeps getting faster and faster and faster. Same with this weekend. They have a brand new rear wing coming uh, for this weekend's race. So, I mean, that Otmar has really been pushing that team ever since he got there. Uh, another one that actually really stands out to me daily is, is Alfa Romeo. I mean, yes. two points at this point last season, now with 41 and I think one of that thing, one of the things is with that Alfa Romeo car is just how adaptable it is. I mean, it's quick pretty much everywhere it goes. And I think for some of the other teams that are further on in in the field, like further back in the field, that that is definitely a realistic um, shape to take with your car moving forward for next season. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some teams start going in, in that direction in terms of like what the car actually looks like and how it creates downforce. You know, the other the other thing too that I like about Alfa Romeo guys is the fact that I think they got a really good driver pairing. I mean, Valtteri is a proven quantity in, in Formula One. He's a good driver. He had a great stint at Mercedes, helped them win, what was it, four Constructors Championships or was it five? I've lost uh, lost count. And you got uh, Joe Guan Yu, who I think is a, is a good young driver. He's in the perfect position to for a guy who's, as a rookie in F1 
to be teamed up with a guy that that's been there, has won races, helped win championships, and I, I think that there's nowhere to go but up uh, with Alfa Romeo. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, in a minute. I don't want to give too much away here, but uh, Mark, I just wanted to throw this one uh, here to you. The last uh, three teams on the list all stand out to me for different reasons. You got Haas, Aston Martin, and Williams. Why, why do you take those, Tim? Feel free to jump jump in as well with any comments you have. You know, I think the first thing that I consider when I look at this chart, and this was provided by F1 Line again, procured, readily procured from Reddit, is the the distribution of points. Because you talk about last year, 2021, it was the end of an era. We go into 2022. It's the new era of Formula One aero regulations. We've introduced downforce on the underside of the cars. And the hope was that we would create more competitive parity. So when you look at this list, the first question I have is, is, is the field tighter? Is there a broader distribution of points? And I'm not so sure that we're seeing that yet, but I'm incredibly confident based on some things that we've seen this year that that's going to happen. If not this year, for sure, it's going to get better and better as the years progress. But you're right. There's a couple of really great call-outs. You look at the bottom of this list, Haas, 20 points. And I think maybe you could argue that the season's been disappointing. Tim, I know you believe there's a lot of promise in that car, but still they were sitting on zero points last year. And I think we can all say and all believe that the driver pairing they have now is incredibly, incredibly more competent than the one that they were sitting on last year. Aston Martin, you know, Daily, you and I sitting here at the end of 2021, we were singing the praises about what Otmar was doing with that organization, with the capital, building the new factory in Silverstone. And you and I were both mortified at the performance they demonstrated last year. They tapped out early, recognized that 2021 wasn't going to be successful, and they put all their resources into the 2022 car. And of course, they simply haven't delivered. They're sitting on 18 points. And then the Williams team, zero points at this point last year. Really, they didn't score any points until they had that flourish, that really fortunate podium at Spa. Nikki put in a really, a couple of really tidy performances back to back to score some points, but they're sitting on three points. I still think that the car they have now is better than the car they had at this time last year. But Tim, when we talk about Haas, Aston Martin, Williams, is there reason to be optimistic based on what you've seen, or are they maybe where they should be and we should be a little bit down on those teams? No, not at all. I mean, I think like one of the things is, is with Haas is that that number actually to me should be a lot higher than than what it is. That's a really good car. Um, it's consistent as well. And, you know, if it's not for Schumacher throwing it into the wall a couple of times and just maybe not having the performances that I think the team really expected of them, uh, I, I think that's a team that should actually have more points than, than, than what it does. Uh, Aston Martin is the same for them. They actually... They need a little more, bit more downforce with with the upgrades that they brought to the car, the new ones, uh, and they're going to have some more coming. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, I, I was expecting more from Aston Martin, especially to start this season off because of of how and when they pulled the plug on a, on the uh, 2021 season. Uh, but that being said, I think moving forward, that could be a team that could put up some surprise results as we get further into this season and they start learning the upgrades uh, that they have. And as for Williams, I mean, that car is not very good. Like the, 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 the car that the Nicholas is running now is just, it's not competitive. Uh, and they knew that to be, to begin the season. Um, and I, you know what? I, I actually, Mark will challenge you on that one. I, I think last year's car is actually a little bit better than, than this season's car that currently uh, that they are running. I think the the upgrades that Alex has gotten, he was only running 85% of the full upgraded package at the British Grand Prix. He'll be running 100% of the upgrades for 
this weekend in Austria, but it sounds like it's a it's a little bit more of a step in the right direction for, for the Williams team. Not necessarily saying that they're going to be getting, you know, big points all the time. But I think if these upgrades work out for them this weekend, they get a better understanding of what they have. You know, I think they could actually compete for, you know, ninth, tenth uh, in races, some some races. Yeah, interesting. Okay, guys, why don't we move on? Because we've got a ton of stuff here to cover. Uh, this one's kind of cool because this, uh, you know, we've been talking about it offline uh, over the last couple of days. This is the provisional calendar for the 2023 season. Uh, Eric van Haren from the uh, De Telegraaf in Holland is reporting a 23 or a 24. You you love it when I uh, use uh, speak of the mother tongue. I do, I like, get so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was solid. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, is that Eric legit? Is, is that legit? Hold on a second here. Hold the phone line. Is that is that legit? Like did that? That's legit. My mom is wow, Dutch. I lived in you, Holland man. for for many years. So yeah, I'm, I'm fluent. I'm fluent. So I'm impressed. You know, I, I'm reading the article right now. I've got it up my screen here, and I'm reading it. Uh, you know his comments in Dutch and uh, translating. So he's reporting a 23 to 24 race season, and it's it's going to be 24 races, depending whether or not China makes it back on to the the the, the calendar for uh, next year, and that's solely dependent on this time whether or not they relax. Uh, you know the, the rules and everything over there, and the, the ongoing fight against uh, COVID nineteen. So maybe surprising or maybe not so so surprising, but the provisional calendar does not list uh, France. So Paul Ricard is gone. Belgium is gone, although there is a slight chance that they might get a one-year extension in case that Kalayami in South Africa does not go on to the, 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 the schedule. So worst-case scenario, Spa is gone at the end of this year. Best case scenario, they stay on the calendar one more year, and then they're 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 gone after that. Guys, uh, what do you think? Uh, do you twenty four races? I mean, holy smokes, that is going to be a busy, busy year. I mean, we're almost getting to the point that we're racing every other re- weekend for half uh, half the year. So, I mean, we're, we're we're already seeing a lot of double and triple headers, but you know, add another couple of races, it's going to get uh, busier. Tim, what do you think? You like that as a, as a driver or as a mechanic or an engineer or even the guy in the motorhome serving up coffee and hospitality and stuff? That's a big commitment yeah, for everyone. Yeah, that, that is. Uh, right, Daly? I mean, that's a heavy load to put on your team. I mean, even the driver as well. Like You have to remember where everybody is traveling, right? I mean, I did... I did a bit of travel for Formula One and I was exhausted just from like a bit of travel. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you know, imagine doing like a full season. I mean, it would be awesome. I would love to do it. I'd be pretty exhausted at the end of it. But I mean, that <laughs> being said, you know, 23, 24 races, that's a, that is a big time commitment. I think you're, you're going to have to be running two separate crews, one that's uh, gone home for, for a week off type deal, and then you got another one that's working and then swap them out for the next one, and et cetera, et cetera, keep doing it. I think it's going to have to be something like that. You just you can't have burnt out mechanics and crew members going to these races and, and doing the jobs that they're doing. It's just way too much. Uh, but aside from that, you know, looking at some of the races that we may lose, I mean, guys, how can you lose a Belgian Grand Prix? Honestly, like... That's, right. That's a track that's meant to have a Formula One car on it, Hammy. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive 
eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I completely agree. I think a couple of things really stand out to me. One is the, the fact that as you both just mentioned, that we are inching closer to that 24 race mark that was effectively promised to us in the Concord Agreement in 2020. The, the teams in Formula One agreed that that would be the maximum allowable number of races. And obviously, everyone's incented to deliver that because if you deliver 24 races, your TV income goes up and you get that much more money from the race organizers. And of course, that's more money to split in the, the championship. So I'm sympathetic, especially to, as you talked about, Tim, the mechanics and the people that are grinding day in and day out with the teams, the logistics teams, less less sympathetic with all due respect to the media. Um, I know that they're not necessarily staying in five-star. I, I see you looking at me, but uh, less sympathetic <laughs> to the media that follow the F1 circus around. And of course, I hope and pray that one day you will be there for all 24 races. But yeah, it's going to be a grind for everybody involved. I think a couple of things that really stand out to me. One, we're going to start really early next year. We're going to be According to this report, uh, we're going to start March 5th in Bahrain, and we'll follow that up with March 12th in Jeddah, and then we'll bounce over to Australia. And the reason we're going to be starting so early next year is because of the timing of Ramadan. They want to make sure that these get these two races in in the Middle East before Ramadan falls. Now, we talked as well a couple of weeks ago about the fact that Australia will be alternating as the season opening race. That's principally going to be happening when Ramadan follows follows or falls earlier in the year. So in years where Ramadan starts in late February, early March, you're going to start the championship in Australia. Then you're going to arrive in the Middle East after Ramadan is concluded. Other years, you're going to be starting in the Middle East before Ramadan starts. The question mark that I have, and Tim, I'm eager to know if you have any insights, is Abu Dhabi has a contract to be the season finale. And I don't know if there could be an amendment to that. I don't know if they could be paid off. But Vegas reportedly is on the calendar next year for the 18th of November, which is later than the season concludes this year. So to me, I start piecing this together. Like, do we do Austin, Mexico City, Brazil, Vegas, and then bounce over to Abu Dhabi? Or do we go Brazil, Abu Dhabi, back to Vegas? Like, how do, how do we conclude the, the back half of that season? I think uh, what they're planning on doing with this calendar is trying to make sure that they're limiting limiting their carbon footprint, so to speak. I mean, even though it's not that limited, I mean, it's still trying to keep uh, trying to keep everything in one section of the world before moving on to another section of the world. So you know, you've got your Austria, Belgium, 
uh, you know, maybe you do France and then you do Italy and then you move on somewhere else and tackle that section because one of the question marks that's going to be moving forward is like, okay, well, what do you do with Miami and Canada? Because you can't go Miami, go back to Europe, do everything, Azerbaijan, come all the way back to Canada the next week from Azerbaijan. They got to be paired. And I think at the end of the day, you probably, look, no offense to Azerbaijan, but I think you need to put a week off before you go to the bigger events. Okay, so I yeah. let's talk about how teams went from Azerbaijan to Canada. It was really hard on the teams. Like when I got there, you, you could just see it. Like everyone was pretty tired and Canada is a huge event, guys. I mean, 400,000 fans, you know, just coming through for the weekend is a huge number. Uh, almost 200,000 people for race day on Sunday. So, you know, you've, you've got to bring that energy, so to speak. But at the same time, like, I think, I, I think that's a lot to ask. That's a huge travel, like huge. And so... I think they're going to be pairing a lot of these races together. Uh, I think your first assessment with how you had, you know, Vegas, maybe Coda, then may, or maybe you have Coda, then Vegas, then Mexico, then Brazil, and then you go over to Abu Dhabi to fin- finish everything off. That makes a little bit more sense to me uh, rather than going back and forth, back and forth when their main objective is to try and pair some of these races together. There we go. I'll remember to unmute myself. But, uh, you know, guys, uh, <laughs> I did it again. I did it a couple of weeks ago. And one of the listeners awarded me a five-second stop-go penalty, and rightly so. Um, guys, you know, I, I agree. You know, it, it is just so, so busy. But, I mean, you, the only thing you can really do, I mean, obviously starting in the Middle East and important occasions like Ramadan are things to keep in uh, consideration. But there isn't really too much way you can really go because you get the month off in the in, in, in August. So you can either start earlier or end later because you, you can't really do too much either way. So, I mean, it is just going to be really, really packed. And then when you take some of these things into consideration, and Tim, when you break up or bring up an additional point, like having a week off before some of these bigger events, I mean, it just makes it really, really difficult. I mean, I don't envy anyone that tries to put this calendar together because there are so many moving parts. It is absolutely uh, ridiculous. And that summer break is more more important than ever, right? Yeah. But then in, on top of that, Daily, remember um, how they used to kind of do this calendar where it was they were going to places where they weren't going to be experiencing any inclement weather. So they were staying away from um, countries that experienced harsh weather in certain times of the season. Now, if you're going to try and pair everything together, I think for Formula One, like you, you might not know what you're going to get, right? Like if you decide to go uh, and do Miami and then you come to Canada and maybe you do that in June, well, who's to say, you know, you're not entering Miami's sort of like rainy season, right? Like I, I don't know how it works, but that's just an example. Well, yeah, I mean, don't I remember like last year when they were still trying because remember the beginning of the season, like the, the okay, this is what we want to do, but it's really dependent on what happens with COVID. And there mm. was talk about maybe trying to slot the Canadian Grand Prix in in the second half of the season. And they kind of had like this hard date. We can do it up to, I think it was like the second weekend in October or it something was. like that. And then after that, it's just like the, the, the weather in Montreal just is not optimal for a, for, for a Formula One race. I mean, that you got to take all those things into consideration as well. I mean, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, at the top of the show that, you know, it's been great to have some rain and qualifying during the race 
prices over the last uh, couple of weeks. But I mean, there there just is certain conditions that they just cannot operate and run these mm-hmm. cars in, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it makes things so much more challenging. And I mean, I guess it for the viewer at home, it makes races potentially more interesting. Maybe we get a little more inclement weather for uh, for races. But then again, you know, you could be running into like hurricane season somewhere and the next thing you know, your race is completely washed out and you're refunding everyone's tickets. So I think <laughs> at that moment, right, you really have to take a look at like, how does this structure together? Yeah. And then you can get these one-off crazy events like spa last year when, you yeah. know, it's, but I mean, it's, it's happened over the years where you get like this really bad weather at that track. And mm-hmm. that was, uh, you, you seem to have like a, an especially, bout of nasty weather every i don't know several years anyhow let's move on to the next one mark i'm going to let you uh, talk about this one this is the business side of uh, formula one and the rumored deal that uh, could see audi acquiring up to 75 percent of shares in uh, audi uh, sauber alfa romeo whatever you want to call them uh take it away sir I think we're all very excited and I think we've been eager for, it feels like now the better part of 18 months that we keep inching closer and closer to final confirmation of entry from Volkswagen of potentially two different manufacturers in, in Formula One. It's been pretty well established now for a few months that the Audi entry after sniffing around the tires at uh, Aston Martin and sniffing around McLaren is that their entry point is going to be through through Sauber. Now, Joe Sayward, who writes a really great blog and is pretty well connected to the Formula One community. He wrote on his blog a couple of days ago, and I quote, the sale, the sale of Sauber to Albert or to Albert to Audi, the sale is conditional <laughs> on the technical rules for 2026 being confirmed by the FIA, but it will be fa- a fails, or phase deal over three years with Audi slowly taking control of the first 25% of the shares in 2023, another 25% in 2024, and a third and final 25% by the end of 2025. The remaining 25% of the group, the team, will be retained by Finn Rousing, who is one of the owners of Tetra Pak Laval, a firm which has annual revenues of $16.3 billion. The team will go on using Ferrari engines and will continue to be called Alfa Romeo until the end of the current formula at the end of 2025. After that, it will transform into an Audi-branded works operation with engines being built by Audi Sport GmbH in Germany. It cannot happen any quicker than that because you cannot have an Audi chassis powered by a Ferrari engine for all sorts of logistical and marketing purposes. So it'll be a slow purchase. It won't be fully confirmed until, and I suspect it's going to be the same with the Porsche and the Red Bull story, but it cannot be and will not be officially announced until which time that the 2026 power unit regulations are locked in stone. Yeah, th- this is very, very exciting. I think uh, we've been speculating, wondering what where the the landing point for the VW Group in uh, in Formula One uh, might be, and uh, and and this was one because you know it, it kind of makes sense now. And, and we speculated about a couple of weeks ago that why the Andretti thing. There seems so much like a. Um, motivation on their uh, part to try and get something done a, a year ago and then all of a sudden seemed like something was going to happen then it was all of a sudden wasn't so it kind of makes you wonder what was going on in and around in the background and then on the flip side you have the uh, this this recently rumored deal between Red Bull and Porsche that was supposed to be announced uh, this weekend at the Red Bull ring at uh, Red Bull's home race apparently that's not going to happen now because um, they're going to float uh, Porsche on the stock market uh, as an IPO 
and it's rumored to be in the the neighborhood of the 95 billion dollars which would be i think the the biggest uh, offering on uh, for for a german uh, for, pardon me for german uh, ipo so that is uh, absolutely uh, stunning and this is uh, this is huge, you know. I can't really wrap my mouth, my, my mind around this. Uh, Tim, you're nodding your head. You look like you want to say something there. So, so please uh, jump in. <laughs> no, I mean these are these are some of the things that I've uh, heard as well. Actually, the price for the Audi Sauber deal, I actually heard higher than than 450 million. But I mean, if Joe's reporting it, then that has to be what it's being set at. I mean, I can only imagine it being higher because I honestly feel totally that that's agree. actually not undervalued enough. undervalued uh, man. because if you take a look at what the andretti deal kind of looked like i mean this one is i mean it's a little far off for sure but uh, 450 million for 75 percent that doesn't no i i don't think so i mean I, I think that number should be probably higher uh than that uh the team the value of the team i think is also much much higher because of uh it has to be yeah, where Formula One is at. Uh, I mean, yeah. So it's uh, to, to me that the price is a little bit strange, but I've heard similar things of Audi, yes, going to Sauber and in the Porsche deal um, with Red Bull for sure is, uh, I believe, to be happening as well. Uh, here, my thing is, is with with the um, with the uh, the manufacturers that are coming into Formula One is you have to try and lock them in for a set amount of amount of time and we've seen in the past formula one get burned you know by by this and i think that's definitely going to be something that these uh auto manufacturers have to commit to right they can't just be like yeah yeah we're just going to come in for a couple years and play and then we're going to leave i mean it reminds me of like what bmw toyota honda jaguar jaguar Jaguar, ford Ford. i mean so it's just kind of like you know i i I just think that, um, and that's definitely something that the teams will be pushing for because I don't think they want that either. Uh, and, you know, it brings up a couple other conversations that I hope we get into later on in the show. One about being the Andretti uh, offering, but trying to get into Formula One. Uh, but that being said, you know, it, it, I would have liked to have seen uh, Audi come in and, and build their own car and their own team. And I would, same with same. Porsche, I would have liked to have seen that. I think. So to me, that would have been more intriguing. This is kind of just like, hey, we're just going to come in and, you know, I was Porsche going to do. Are they going to use the Honda IP? I mean, can they do that? Uh, who knows, right? I mean, at the moment, Red Bull kind of owns it, don't they? So I I, I kind of would have liked to have seen these uh, car manufacturers come in and, and build a, a team from the, the ground up and really get in there and compete. Uh, seeing as how, you know, the, the 20... 26 engine regulation it may not be that complicated it may be something even though it hasn't been solidified yet it may be something that's quite simple that these um engine manufacturers can make make quite simple you know guys yeah completely yeah, that's agree. a great point no i, I was just oh, going to say you, go ahead, you make a really great point about that that toyota iteration and i think toyota was unique because they came in and maybe this is the 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 business case that audi and porsche and some of these manufacturers look at which is Toyota went in and they started from scratch. They built Mm. all the infrastructure from the ground out. Mm. They flamed out and they were out of the sport in less than a decade. So Mm -hmm. I think for Porsche and Audi, maybe purchasing an existing team or purchasing a portion of existing team is far less risk. And I agree to me, Uh, I would like to see Hammy, right? If we think about it, like when Toyota was getting involved in formula one, like they were spending big, 
Bucks, but they had man. to. They had but to. I know, but now the landscape of Formula One has totally. changed. There's a cost cap now. There's only a certain amount of money you can spend within a season. That really shrinks everything. It also makes the field a lot more competitive. If we're now actually seeing, like, if you take a look at how fast development has occurred for these teams so far this season, I mean, we're talking about teams that were two seconds off being potentially one second right. off halfway through a season. Right. That usually takes like 12 months, man, to like get that get to, to get into that gap. So I think like for something like this, I mean, and that's one of the things I think why Formula One has gone and, and did what they did with these regulations. And at the same time with the cost cap is trying to get more interest from auto manufacturers to come in and start their own teams. And and you know what? Like the initial spend. Yes. Would it be big for an auto manufacturer? Absolutely. Could they afford it? Sure. Can they sustain that over? Can they sustain a smaller, smaller number over seasons to come? I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay, guys, I, I got a couple a of questions. Okay, no, sorry, I was, Mark. I was just no, going to say, gonna say yeah. no, this is good. We're not used to having so much great debate on the show, but I would say <laughs> to Tim, you're right. Like, There's something that F1 has now that it's never had before, which is cost certainty. When Toyota went to the board and they pitched this idea of going into Formula One, it was a money pit. Like, What are your annual expenses? I don't know, half a billion dollars, a yeah. billion dollars yeah, yeah. a year. Now you go to the board, it's 135 million. It's 140 million dollars all in plus driver salaries, tack on another $20 million. And then you can almost account for covering all of that, if not all of it and more with sponsorship money and prize money, right? Like the sport is absolutely rolling in the dough in terms of all the money that's generating through the TV deals, through streaming and through advertising. So you're right that if a manufacturer was ever going to come in, it's never been more appealing to start an organization from the ground up. So I completely, I completely get it that ideally we want to add new teams and new works teams to the grid. If we did that with Porsche and if we did that with Audi, though, we're at 12 teams and we've pretty much maxed out the grid. I think this does give the sport the opportunity. Like Sauber, for all intents and purposes, for its entire existence, has been a non-existent entry. They've been uncompetitive. They haven't delivered big results. Maybe now they can be a premium offer because they've got resources and expertise and financial capital that they've never had before. So I think that's good. I think in a way, it's kind of a shame that Porsche is going to partner with Red Bull because Red Bull is a perennially competitive team and they don't necessarily need to be paired with Porsche and their expertise and their finances to be even more competitive. And just to kind of touch on that Honda thing as well, um, what I understand, and I think we're going to touch on this a little bit later, is right now, Red Bull has inherited zero Honda IP. Honda is still supplying their engines out of their factory in Japan. They haven't taken the blueprints. They've taken nothing. And it's because um, as a new engine manufacturer in 2026, there's all kinds of concessions that mm -hmm. will be made to Porsche and Red Bull. They'll get mm -hmm. extra development time. They'll get extra money. They'll get more time on the, the test lab. There'll be things that'll be available to them that wouldn't be available if they were simply migrating the Honda IP into that new power unit. And what we've heard, you make a really great point too, is the formula in 2026 isn't going to be a lot different. Synthetic fuels, yes. MGUH gone, yes. MGUK enhanced, yes. New battery store, yeah. But the internal combustion engine is going to be the exact same. It's going to be the same turbo, the same 1.6 liter V6. Fundamentally, at its core, the internal combustion engine is going to be the same. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to jump in with a couple of points here, and Mark, you already answered a couple of them, uh, and Tim as well, but I was just, I couldn't help uh, but kind of uh, chuckle uh, to, to myself here as you kind of like bring up some of the ghosts from years gone by, like Toyota and uh, and BMW and the previous Honda Works team and things like that, and I can't help but wonder, in this new era, like Mark says, you know that you're in it for $130 million per year, plus driver salaries and all these offsetting costs from sponsorship and prize money, etc. I just can't help wonder if there's people out there that still have ties to those or that or were with those teams maybe don't still have ties with the people that were involved in those teams back in the day and when they shut the doors and walked away from formula one just you know still have that that bitterness or that that, that feeling that geez you know we just uh you know what if you know what could we have done back in the day right. if the, the the landscape was the same in 2008 or whatever it was as it is in 2022 but uh, I'll, I'll guess we'll never know and then just for a little bit of clarity i guess under the current uh, deal what with Audi potentially partnering up with Sauber and then Porsche potentially partnering up with Red Bull, does that not leave two potential slots open for new manufacturers to fill out the grid? Because that would, I guess, would because they can expand up to twelve, right? I thought that's what it was. Mark, am I right in that, or am I have I completely misremembered? Or Tim, do you can you add a little bit of color to that? Well, teams obviously at this point there's there's a handful of them that want. There's a handful of them that are okay with another team coming in, but on the same front, there's a handful of them that are against it. And if we look at like this Andretti deal, which I'm glad we can probably get to right now. Sure, um, well, let's talk about it. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, there was an article uh, that was published in GQ this past week. Um, that was from Michael Andretti and, and Mario Andretti speaking to the fact that it was how difficult it is to get into Formula One and how an 11th team, which they would be, would eat into the prize money. Um, and I think F1, I believe they're more interested in having a manufacturer come in as 11th team. Now, I don't necessarily don't really agree with that simply because I think like if you look at your teams like your Williams is or the Andretti, I mean, the Andretti group, it is always been successful, right? They have, they have basically been competitive in everything uh, that they've gone into. And on the flip side of that, I don't see them not being competitive in formula one and, and, and sticking with all of it. You know, I spoke with Omar Safnar about this in, in Canada because I saw Michael Andretti there with Alpine and and McLaren and Alpine do support him, you know, because I spoke with um, Laurent Rossi about it as well in, in Miami. And, and his thing is just making sure that the pie is being cut up enough for everybody. But then on top of that, you've got that, what's it called? The anti-dilution funds that they have to um, pour their money into, which would be about $200 million to balance sort of the revenue share. On top of all that, and then you know he comes in and they're good to go. He's ready to ready to play. So I think at the end of the day, having 
an 11th team, a 12th team. I think that's good for Formula One. It's it's trying to make sure that everything stays stable, right? And I think mm-hmm. you have to find a way of getting some money back to those two teams, right? Like if you can get into the top 10, that's great. But if you're 11th or 12th, well, what happens to you? Because you're not going to get the prize funds. And if you're not going to get the prize funds, that makes continuing in Formula One that much more difficult. But at the end of the day, there's also more revenue coming into Formula One. And so they also actually, I, I don't know how the TV, maybe Hammy might know this a bit better than I can, but I don't know really how like the TV revenue stream, if that gets split up between the teams either. I mean, I don't know, Hammy, do, do you know anything about that? Yeah, it definitely does. So it goes into the pot that is distributed amongst the teams as per the Concord agreement. So Mm. I think the teams were watching that ESPN deal with great interest because ultimately that's additional or incremental revenue for them too. Yeah, you bring up a good point with that too. Like, So a portion of F1's revenue, they're obviously shared between 10 teams like we're talking about here. It's reported in 2021 that you know their revenue, I believe, was about $2.14 billion and like a portion of that gets split up between the 10 teams that currently exist on the grid. So, I mean, Hammy, what's stopping them from doing an 11, right? Like it just doesn't, to me, uh, this makes total sense. Just want to add this as well, because this just popped up in our chat and I quote, this is from one of our listeners, Porsche buying into F1 is embarrassing. They're effing Porsche. They have the only car company that claimed to be Ferrari's equal, a race company that builds road cars, not the other way around. I think I agree with that. You know, ultimately this is an incredibly rich company and maybe they should be building from the ground up as opposed to kind of. I don't know, locking onto a team that's already had so much success over the past couple of years. Again, you know, Tim, you and I were kind of talking about this this afternoon and we're kind of butting heads a little bit uh, via DM and, yeah. and tweets. We were, we were, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, but I have been really apprehensive about the Andretti group in particular. And I think my frustration is, where were they in 2015, 2016? So we saw in the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, 10, a ton of teams left the sport. BMW was out. Toyota was out. Jaguar was looking to come back in. They bailed. Honda left. The sport was in a terrible place in terms of the number of manufacturers. And by the mid-2010s, the sport was dying for entries. Manor was on their way out. Incidentally, Manor was on their way out because they were perennially 11th in the championship, which means they didn't get to share in any of the prize money, which just compounded their problems. They exited the sport and for and Formula was desperate for new entries. And ultimately, Haas came up. They got in for a song. Like Formula One was accepting tenders. Like you can come and join the sport. There's no upfront cost. There's no financial obligation. We just need teams on the grid. And I think my frustration is that if Andretti really wanted to be a part of Formula One, there was an opportunity six years ago where he could have got into the sport with zero. Zero, zero upfront cost aside from building the team and investing in that specific infrastructure. Does he want to be involved now because the sport is peaking in the United States? And if that's the case, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. No, uh, I mean, you have to remember, Hammy, he was busy trying to keep his IndyCar team alive <laughs> because uh, <laughs> they weren't True. doing very well either, brother. So <laughs> you can't do both, man. It's one or the other at the end of the day, right? So uh, I, th- a big thing for Michael was trying to keep his IndyCar team alive. I mean, they were, <laughs> that whole series was on the brink of like extinction right. after what, 2008 going into 2009. I mean, it, 
And it's still like they're they're still well they're they're having really good success now. But I mean, it took a long time for them to get to where they are now. IndyCar, I mean. That being said, with Andretti, if you've looked at his track record over the past ten years, he has slowly built out that Andretti sort of global racing group, right? Like where he's gone to next. Where's he going to go to next? Where's he going to go to next? Right? See, I mean, I think he's in what almost seven seven major racing series from around the world he's involved in now with the team and, uh, uh, and now looking at formula to tackle formula one. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's good for formula one. I think that helps. I think one that helps fast track an American driver into formula one, which is extremely important right now. And I think two, you have a full fledged American team, even though Andretti would most likely from what I've heard, they would be doing most of their work on the car over in Europe. But at the end of the day, I mean, everyone in the States knows who Michael or Mario Andretti is. That's all I got to say. Great point. I got a question and uh, either you could answer this one. So cost cap or not, 130 million, 140 million, whatever it is, is that bar low enough for a group of people like uh, Andretti Motorsport to come in as a like on their own into Formula One, or do they need to partner up with somebody like Ford or Chevy or whoever? Is 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 that bar low enough for them to do it on their own? I think like it, it they would definitely need sponsorship, right? Like I think. They have some backers now who are like private, who want to get involved in this. And that's why they seem so confident that they can put up the anti-dilution fund, get the money together to, you know, refurbish a factory uh, and start to make a car. On top of all that, I think they feel that they can come in and be competitive at that price point point i mean at the end of it though if i'm like michael andretti i would be knocking on audi's door or porsche's door like trying to see what type of deals you can work out with them like i i think i I would be doing that i mean maybe he already has but at the end of the day i mean i think you have to be aggressive uh at that point of thing if you hear that one of those two manufacturers are looking at coming into formula one Look, yeah, we, yeah. we know why Alpine is one of the two teams that are supporting Andretti, and it's because at least it's been reported that they will be the supplier of power units to Andretti. And sure. of course, Alpine is the only team, or Renault is the only only team not supplying anyone else on the grid. So it would be incredibly valuable for them to have a partner because one, it's a revenue stream. They can sell their engines. That's this new stream of business for, for that Formula One group. But two, it also gives them a ton of incremental data that they're not getting off of their units because they're only running two cars so it would help the development of their power units mclaren obviously has some pretty big investment in uh north america i i think though the bigger concern here is exactly what you just touched on which is the anti-dilution fee and for everyone at home think about this as an expansion fee you know you're entering major league baseball the nba you pay an expansion fee and that expansion fee is divided up evenly amongst all the other teams because as a new team you're going to share in the league's profits. You're going to share in the TV money. And this is a way of buying off the other owners. I think when that anti-dilution fee was set in 2010, at the height of the pandemic in the Concord Agreement, I don't think that the teams nor Formula One could ever have imagined how quickly this sport could have grown. And I think if you talk to Toto and if you talk to Christian Horner, who are deeply invested in the valuation of their teams and the other teams on the grid, 
they see this as a real hindrance because ultimately they want to see teams and Lawrence Stroll's talked about this before. They want to see teams worth billions of dollars and it's detrimental to the valuation of all the teams on the grid. If you're suddenly allowing somebody onto the grid at a cost of $200 million, that's, that's not a really good investment and it doesn't help the valuation of the teams. Is it though? Or is Toto just worried about, you know, losing a vote? Yeah, great question. Great question. (laughs) Well, that's true. Like, it would be a block, right? You know, so there's politics (laughs) at play here, Ham. This is what I'm getting at, right? I mean, it's not all about the anti-dilution fund. and There's other things going on here, I have a feeling. And uh, definitely one of them being votes, like Daly said, being a potential to come in and, and block something. You're getting Alpine engines. Who else does Alpine supply engines to? You're getting another, like, so if Otmar Safnauer wants to go in a direction with something and it has to be voted on, and all he needs to worry about is one last vote that hasn't been submitted, and that comes from Andretti, who's running his engines, what do you think is going to happen? Tim, are you suggesting that there's politics and favoritism and cronyism <laughs> in Formula One? That can't be true. That never happens, right? Well, if we think so, about it, right? I mean, only it's only logical, right? If you, uh, oh, yeah. I would do it. I mean, for yeah. sure, anybody <laughs> would do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there, there's something to play there as well. Oh, totally. I, I'm just being a little bit uh, sarcastic about it. Um, guys, this has been a great conversation. Let's uh, start moving things along here. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of interesting stories that I wanted to talk about that sort of like really uh, builds on what we saw last weekend after that very exciting uh, British Grand Prix. Uh, first of all, this one uh, I find kind of interesting. And, and Tim, I'd love to get your, your take on this. But apparently, and I, I don't know if we want to go as far as say that there's a split or a schism in the Ferrari team, but apparently that uh, before the podium ceremony, after Carlos wins his first Formula One race, first race ever, and then in a Ferrari nonetheless, that some of the team, like, some of the team members didn't want to go out to, and, and celebrate that. So I don't know whether or not that's been confirmed, but certainly it's it's kind of a juicy rumor to talk about. And if it's even partially true, if it's not like an out and out, they're throwing wrenches at each other from across the garage because they hate each other. Oh, Carlos or <laughs> Team Carlos versus Team Charles. But uh, still, I mean, if there's even a little bit of tension, that's not a good thing to have in a garage. Definitely not a good thing to have uh, inside uh, inside a team. Yeah, Tim, talk to us about yeah, that. Yeah, especially not now, right, Daly? I right. mean, you're, you're, you're right on uh, the, the cusp of potentially clawing your way back into this championship this weekend in Austria is a big weekend for Ferrari. I think they could have some good success here. And if you're, you know, if your garage is split, I mean, that's not, that's not good. So <laughs> I, I don't think there's any truth to, to the story though, from what I've heard. Uh, but, you know, Charlotte Claire was not, a happy camper at the end of the, of the British Grand Prix. Um, he flew back to Monaco and Matteo Bonotto actually flew out to Monaco too and took him out to dinner. And they had a nice conversation according to Charles Leclerc today. I, I think he feels the support of the team. Um, and internally, I think he believes that they are working, you know, as hard as they can, but, uh, does the team need to pick one driver? Uh, I, you know, Leclerc obviously would say that it's not up to him whether or not they choose a number one driver, but 
I mean, Daly, I think at the end of the day, they have to make some sort of a commitment to to one or the other. Yeah, this 1A and 1B, the sort of co-number one drivers, it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in any sport either. You don't have like, you don't have like a, like a, a, a 1A to, or 1B to Tom Brady, right? You know, mm-hmm. you either have like your number one guy or whatever it is in, in any sport. But when I, when I saw this story, I couldn't help but laugh to myself. I'm like, Ferrari have let themselves down on the track. They've let themselves down off the track, they they started starting to show some signs where they're they're kind of putting it back together. And I was thinking maybe it's going to go okay for them now, but what could they do wrong to sabotage it from here? And of course, when I saw this, of course, an inter-team <laughs> battle, toxicity, you know, guys and you know people in inside the garage hating each other, and you know, I could just see it as sort of like uh, people shoving each other and giving each other the evil. Eye. Well, maybe not that bad, but let's just say I thought well, if there was anything that would be so Ferrari, that would be it. <laughs> I'm just like, I sure hope it isn't true, but especially as, as frustrating as it was for 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 Charles in Silverstone I mean the signs are there right I mean they they've had pace the last couple of weekends Carlos wins a race on merit it was an exciting it was an exciting finish to that Grand Prix Charles despite missing the the end plate of that wing that he lost very early in the race itself still had phenomenal pace I know I know it must be frustrating for him but I I guess that's why Mattia went out there to try maybe put some you know put that fire out if there was even any fire to begin with because there's positive signs there and i think maybe you just have to try and put that into focus yeah i think so too i and you know being a a team principal you're almost like the head coach of a of a team so it's something similar and you kind of got to keep everyone together but i think you know mattia bonotto's done such a great job since taking over after uh maurizio riva bene and he's really brought this team back from, you know, from its knees. Like they were, they were, they weren't a good team. Like at, towards the end of 2019, 2020 was an absolute disaster. And 2021, they started to, started to come back. And, and now they're super strong. Like, I mean, I think they have one of the, they have, if not the fastest car over a single lap on the grid. It's whether or not they can convert that into race wins moving <laughs> forward is the other question. But, at the sure. end of the day, I mean, I, I think he's done a really brilliant job with the team, and now, and now we're starting to see. Okay, well, how does he manage drivers? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's the 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 management between Leclerc and Vettel eh, wasn't that great, was it? No, it, it wasn't. There was definitely some room left uh, for for improvement there, but that that that's the difficult part, right? That's you know, when it comes to technical things and technical challenges, those are are predictable and they're solvable. But there's nothing as unpredictable as people themselves and yeah. interpersonal relationships and, and and the greats in 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 any walk of life. It doesn't have to be Formula One. It can be in business. It can be in sports. It can be in families. You know, whatever it is, the the organizations that truly get it, you know, they, they do great things in whatever field they do, but they also, they're great. Just the way that they interact and the, the, uh, the, the mentality and the, uh, I guess the relationships they have with each other just to work uh, really, really as well. So daily, I just, I want to add on this note, going back to last year, the three of us were on a podcast and this just occurred to me now. And we were talking about what a great place Ferrari was becoming. They were, they were, 
developing a great car. The power unit was coming back, of course, after they were caught and read caught caught and slapped on the wrist by the FIA midway through 2019. 2019, you of course had that disastrous relationship that that Mr. Tim Haraney just alluded to between Vettel and Leclerc, and that wasn't managed well. But last year, things seemed to be coming together, and there seemed to be a really great relationship with Carlos Sainz and with Charles Leclerc. I specifically recall us sitting here and saying, look, the reality is the relationship's good because they're not in a position to compete for race wins. Wait till next year when this team potentially is in a position to compete for race wins. And then let's talk about what that relationship looks like. So not just the relationship between the drivers themselves, but between them and Bonato and on the either side of the garage. And now we're in exactly that scenario where they have a car that's capable of winning races. And now you've got two drivers who are demonstratedly capable of winning Grand Prix. And some of those cracks and some of that friction is starting to appear. And again, a lot of this is self-inflicted, right? Like the reality is Charles Leclerc should be leading or close to leading this champion if not for some strategy errors and some reliability issues. And then you compound that with the fact that Carlos Sainz is now a race winner, deservedly so. He put himself in a position to win a race, but he also won it because that team didn't pit Charles Leclerc, what should have been a no-brainer stop at the end of the race to put that car onto softs, right? Like the cracks are starting to appear. And I think it really just, to your point again, Tim, like Matteo Bonato as a team principal, he needs to be able to coach the drivers and coach the mechanics and coach the garage to create some cohesiveness. But again, there's two separate drivers and two separate sizes of the garage, and they're incredibly competitive with one another. But we'd predicted that this could be an outcome this season as the team became more competitive and started chasing race wins. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, but Mark, I, I think that you, the, the key takeaway from, from what you were saying just now is that the problems that they're having and why these cracks are appearing is because of the problems that they're having. If they were brought home a lot more of these points uh, through the first 10 races of the season and the championship is a little bit closer, the, you know, I, I don't think there might be some sort of tension, but I, I don't know if um, if you look at all the problems Charles has had, right? I, I think he's a lot closer in the championship. I don't think he's as worried about what Carlos is doing if you know he hasn't finished on the podium in the last four or five races or whatever it is, and he hasn't uh, had the, the the benefit of some of the bad calls on the the, the pit wall go against him. I, I think that the discussion might be uh, completely uh, different. I, I think that it is just like you say the the self inflicted injuries and the, the the results that they've had and all the points that they've left out there. That's what's boiling over. I think it's just frustration more than anything else. Yeah. All right. Okay. I just want to build on this uh, this one a, a little bit more. Ross Braun, the uh, F1 manager or director of motorsport. I always forget what his title is. It doesn't roll off the tongue very easy. Anyways, uh, Ross uh, believes that what we saw, especially in the latter stages of uh, the British Grand Prix last weekend, is what he calls, quote, the perfect demonstration of the new Formula One. Guys, agree, disagree? Or do you have a bit of a different uh, different take? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with him for sure. I think at the end of the day, this is what these regulations were meant to do is close these, close the field, give us some better racing. Uh, you know, we said it on Sunday, you know, that's 
probably one of the best Formula One races we've ever seen. And it reminds me of like an IndyCar race, which is, in my opinion, some of the best racing on the planet right now. But uh, aside from that, you know, Formula One, uh, I think if they can, you know, minimize runaway teams and I think that will come with convergence over time. And I also think, you know, these teams are are going to be closing these gaps even more. So next season has potential to be uh, very exciting, I think, at the end of the day. I mean, right now, Red Bull's kind of got a monster in terms of their race car. And you know what? I can see teams closing that gap very quickly. We've already seen it with these upgrades that teams are bringing now. I mean, I don't see why why when we get to uh, 2023, we're not seeing you know great races like that happen a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Mark, what, what do you think? Do you agree with Ross or no? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, it's funny after the first two races this season, we were all saying exactly then what we were saying now, which is the regulations are working, the racing's better, the field spreads better, the competitive balance is better, and it kind of faded off. And you know, we went to a couple of different types of tracks, and we've seen a lot of street tracks and some hybrid tracks. None of them which are really great or conducive to racing. We've seen some reliability issues. We've been to some new tracks, but. Silverstone, I think, is like the bench, kind of the benchmark of what a really great, fast flowing, dedicated, purpose built Formula One circuit should be. And the product was exceptional. And Tim, you know, I totally agree with you. I keep. I keep thinking back and like, was it recency bias in the moment that this was one of the best Formula One races ever? But almost a week later, I haven't shaken that feeling. So Tim, I think the question I have for you is, you know, obviously it's going to get better or it should get better that some of the teams came out of the gate this year. They had done better work. They had done the homework. They'd done a better job of developing their cars. Obviously the good teams, Ferrari, and Red Bull, they'll continue to innovate the arrow and the design of their cars. Can't really touch the power unit because it's pretty much frozen now. I guess the question is, are those other teams, Aston Martin, uh, Haas, Williams, Alpine, are they going to make developments and progress on those elements that they can adapt faster than the teams that are already performing well? Because if Red Bull continues to accelerate their development and these other teams don't, well, that doesn't necessarily help things. But mm-hmm. are you confident that teams like Haas, Williams, Aston Martin are going to be able to start closing some of that gap? Yeah, I think so. Only because it, you know, once we get to next season, those teams that are further at the back are going to get more wind tunnel time, which is only going to help speed up their progression of how they get new parts to the car and how soon they get those new parts to the car. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, you know, we could be talking about how Haas, Aston Martin, especially Williams, if they stay where they are, you know, in dead last, uh, the amount of wind tunnel time that team is is going to get and you know, hoping that their budget can support what they want to do with the race car for next season. I don't see why not. I don't see why we don't see Williams, you know, you know, maybe battling within the top five of teams in a few years time. Like, why not? That's what these regulations uh, are meant to do. And it's actually, in my opinion, I think it's great. And yeah, I mean, at the end of, I believe it's at the end of the summer break, everything kind of goes back to normal and teams are allowed to jump in the wind tunnel uh, as much as they'd like. Well, not as much as they'd like, but they can jump in the wind tunnel with more like save Mercedes. They're going to have more wind tunnel time uh, coming up here in in August, which is going to be beneficial for them for not only for their car and their philosophy, but for, for next season uh, as well. So yeah, I think um, I I like this direction. I I really do. Hammy. 
Ben in the chat says the real test is going to be this whole European swing. If we can keep this kind of racing in places like Austria, France, Spa, and Monza, then we can really call it a success. And again, I'm still incredibly optimistic daily because the reality is we're still only four or five months into this new era, right? Like some of the teams were going to get it right. Some of the teams were going to miss it. Talk about next year. Maybe we can even start talking about do we need DRS as part of the sport or is the racing so close that as a driver aid or a competitive aid, maybe we don't even need that. And to me, that would be the ultimate sign that we've achieved. I don't want to say aero perfection, but possibly the most competitive racing we've ever seen in Formula One is when we can start talking about getting rid of aids like DRS. But I'm incredibly confident. And to me, Silverstone was a jolt and it was a boost of enthusiasm because it was like, aha, that's what we saw in Jeddah. That's what we saw in Bahrain that's what we were promised and it was real and it was authentic yeah and that's the exciting thing about it I, I think that I'm encouraged what I've seen you know throughout uh, different times of the year uh, of course I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit and say I'm going to wait till after Abu Dhabi in December till I really uh, render a judgment but I think there's promising signs there but like you say uh, Mark I it, I'm completely on board with that, that I think that once these regulations are perfected and they take away the, 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 the DRS at the car, the aero package, it's up to it itself. And it doesn't need that because at, at that point it's DRS becomes like a, a relic of a bygone age. It's no longer relevant in formula one. It's just uh, un- unnecessary. And, you know, I just, uh, I just kind of, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I, I understand how it works. It's it, it's pretty cool. But at the end of the day, just optically, I think it looks a little bit kind of hokey. And I, I'd like to see it disappear if the cars work as advertised. Tim, jump in here, please. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that really stood out to me today from speaking with some of the drivers and being in on some of the media calls is that, you know, the drivers were couldn't stop gushing at, you know, how much fun they had in some of the battles during the British Grand Prix, like like Lewis Hamilton couldn't stop gushing over the fact that he he was digging the racing. And this is why he got in involved in racing to begin with in the first place. And it reminded him so much of back in his karting days. And that's what he absolutely loves is that is that dicing, is that battling. And you know, he he felt that they were they were finally getting it at Silverstone. I mean Obviously, there's a there's a lot that goes into that with the safety car, obviously. But then you got a track that's big and wide enough that has sweeping corners that allows cars to go side by side and allows them to battle a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the drivers absolutely loved what they got to do at the British Grand Prix. So, I mean, it only makes sense going forward that this is what everybody wants. Yeah, and we have to remember too how many street circuits have we been on in the first yeah, uh, third point. of the season. I mean, we've yeah, got like good. a lot more uh, purpose-built uh, tracks that we're going to go to, and yeah. so hopefully this is just a foreshadowing of uh, things to come. Uh, just one more thing here on the British Grand Prix before we uh, move along. We want to talk about the race coming up here at the Red Bull Ring uh, very shortly. I just wanted to get your guys' uh, thought here on some comments that uh, Sergio Perez made after the uh, British Grand Prix last weekend, and I'll, I'll just. Uh, 
read it off here. So Sergio had the following to say, quote, I knew there was an accident, but I was back in the garage. I was looking at the TV and they showed the accident. I was shocked. It has been a while since uh, we have seen uh, such an accident like that. It's hard to see that and try to delete it from your mind and try to focus on what you have to do. Well done to the FIA because we've come a long way with safety. I'm sure there are good improvements and always good lessons to make sure we learn from to see the accident, to make sure that things, uh, to make sure that there are such things we can improve. I don't know if there are photographers around that were at risk. So just have a look and see if we're able to make this a safer sport for everyone. And one final thing I'd like to add is that when you hear people about putting a cap on the driver's salaries, we are the ones taking all the risk out there, putting on the show. So I don't think it's a good thing to be talking about that on the sport going forwards. But the most important thing is that nobody was hurt, end quote. So what do you guys think? Uh, do you agree with uh, with Sergio's take on drivers obviously do uh, take the big risk, but uh the, the whole salary cap there. I mean, I think obviously it's, it's well warranted. Do, do you think it takes away something from the sport? If you're capping the salary, the driver's salaries, especially with like the, the, the danger that, uh, that they, they put themselves in each and every weekend, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I was on a media call today with Lewis Hamilton and he was kind of driving at something, something similar in terms of, you know, the risks that they have to take. We sit at home and watch things on television and don't really have a clear grasp at just how fast and just how dangerous some of the dicing that, that these drivers, you know, have to do or the situations that they put themselves in. I think, I don't think there should be a salary cap. It doesn't make any sense to me because, you know, when you look at it at the end of the day, some of these drivers have to pay someone back when they get the formula one. Some of them actually like have people say like, okay, I'm going to pay for 75% of your racing and you're going to give me 25% of your salary for the first five years that you're in formula one. So if you're only making like a couple million dollars, but it took you $10 million just to get there and you have to find a way of paying some of that back. I mean, that's just, that's just not fair. I mean, the, the driver, the driver went out to get that funding. The driver went out to, you know, beat the bushes to come up with the funds so they could inject it into their own racing career so they could get to Formula One. And then all of a sudden you're putting a salary cap on them and now they can't pay the person back. You're putting them in a very difficult position, which is just, it's unfair in my opinion. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if they do put a salary cap, it's got to be high, like 15 million. Like, give me a break. Like, come on. Let's say Total. 50. Yeah, let's say 52 million. Sure. Tim, put it there. How, how does the sport sell the drivers on the eye unless there's a really high salary floor, right? Like there's a lot of drivers that are making one, two, three million dollars a year. And maybe the way you sell it to them is like, hey, you know, the cap's 30 million, but there's a floor of 20 million. So on average, everyone's going to get more money. But in terms of just conceptually a salary cap, the drivers are smart. They know that the sport is booming. They know it's because of things like drive to survive. And they know it's because they are selling the sport and they're the ones going on the track 
not creating yeah. the product every single weekend. They also know that the owners of the individual teams are seeing more gross profit than ever before because of the, cu- the cost cap. And they know that the Formula One, the commercial rights group is potentially seeing more profit than they've ever seen before. So I think the drivers would be very much opposed to any form of cost cap. You can't say the sport is making more money than ever before, and you are going to limit my earnings. There's no reason why Lewis Hamilton shouldn't be amongst the highest paid athletes on the planet, on the planet. And that would be taken away from them because of an artificial cost cap that isn't necessary. Now we talk about professional sports in North America, cost cap, NFL, NBA, NHL. They need it because the income's limited and because they need to protect the owners from the owners. Formula (laughs) one, the money's there. The sponsorship is there. Do not artificially cap these drivers because the other thing you could do is risk these drivers getting to Formula One and then signing a big deal to go to another racing series. And I know that seems far-fetched, but if my cap in Formula One is $5 million and I got somebody in the US offering me $10 million to race a stock car, maybe I go and race a stock car. 100%. Great point. Great point. I think also one more thing just to add on the end of that. If let's say a driver's salary cap does come into play, I think that the drivers really need to have a look at what parts of their suit, what parts of their helmet, what parts of their street clothes can be branded by a sponsor that they go out and get themselves. And that's a revenue stream that they keep 100%. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's their money. Yeah. And they don't have to share that with the team. I think that's that then then that's uh, has to be an argument that gets made uh, in the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different creative ways uh, around it, but the more and more that I've sort of thought about it uh, since, you know, they introduced the cost cap a couple of years ago and this whole idea of like a driver's salary cap is kind of like popped up here and there, uh, you know, at at different times over the last year. So the, the more I think about it, the less and less I'm in favor of it, especially when you see, you know, something that we saw with the, with Joe Guan Yu last weekend. I mean, it really just uh, emphasizes, you know, how risky this sport uh, still is despite the fact that we have things like carbon fiber and halos and all these uh, safety enhancements, it's still inherently dangerous. It's uh, just the, uh, the, the nature of the sport. Okay. I want to touch as quickly as we possibly can on the whole subject of flexi floors, which I didn't even know was a thing until uh, several days ago. And then we'll talk about the Grand Prix itself because it's a big one this weekend. It's one of these, uh, what Marcos likes to call one of the majors because we got the sprint race. So meaning rather than having free practice on Friday, we actually have qualifying sprint race on Saturday and the Grand Prix on Sunday. But ahead of that, uh, there's been some revelations uh, coming out that some of the teams, Red Bull in particular, have been running what is a you know being called a flexi floor so the current rules uh, say that there's a, a minimum deflection of two millimeters at the two middle plank holes and no more than two millimeters at its rearmost hole to really make sure that the floor is uh, stiff enough so there's some stories out there that some of the teams have been able to kind of work around that and be able to flex the floor as much as six millimeters which still six millimeters is not very much but it's it's big enough uh, because what it allows the cars to do is to run with a higher rake and much closer to the ground, which gives them increased performance without uh, you know ground strikes and porpoising and all these different things, which has obviously been an issue for a lot of teams this uh, th- this year and has obviously been you know quite head there been in the the headlines quite a few times, especially for 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 Mercedes. Tim, 
What has the talk been in the last uh, day or so and the conversations that you've been able to sit in? What are people saying about flexi floors and what's what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think you know, could end up happening is how is the FIA police this? Because it is something that they can't actually see. I mean, it's not like we could see, you know, we could see how the front wing on the, let me get this straight if I remember correctly. It was that the Red Bull had the flexi, no, the Red Bull had the flexi rear wing. Yes. And the Mercedes had the flexi front, front wing. wing. Yeah, <laughs> back in 2021. <laughs> uh, but we could actually like see that, right? And so could the FIA, right? And there are sensors that are built onto these cars for the FIA in terms of certain purposes, whether it be um, damage or also uh, bending the rules. Is there a certain type of sensor that they can start uh, placing in and around the floor? I mean, I don't see why not. And then at the same time, is there some way that they can measure how much that's flexing at the same time. So I think that's going to be the question moving forward and that these teams are, are definitely going to be are, are going to be talking about for sure. And, you know, if we take a look at that Red Bull, like they don't have a lot of porpoising, right? They don't have a lot of vertical oscillation where the Mercedes does and it gets worse the stiffer that they run the floor. So if you have a floor that's flexible, then technically you're probably not going to have as much vertical oscillation. Now, I'm not saying that Red Bull is actually doing this. I mean, I have no idea. But at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation over the next uh, few days. We have the team principal press conference coming up on Saturday, so I'm going to be very interested to hear what everyone has to say. And Total Wolf is in on that as well. So yeah, she could have more information on Sunday. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. I have nothing of value to add. I just want to (laughs) congratulate both of you. I just want to congratulate both of you on taking a very dense, complex subject and actually articulating your thoughts really well. Because I saw this in the outline. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a minefield of complexity. You guys did a really, really great job. So congratulations to both of you. I am not going to even try to add value to what you said. (laughs) So why don't we just move right on into the race preview? Because I feel like the more we try to add to the flexi floors is just going to ruin what... uh, Go out on top. Go out on top. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the Austrian Grand Prix. Like I said at the top of the show, this will be the fifth trip they hear in uh, in three seasons. Last year, Max won there both times at the Austrian Grand Prix and at the Styrian Grand Prix. Year before, it was uh, both of the Mercedes uh, drivers, Valtteri winning one time, Lewis winning the 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 time before that, or was it the other way around? I can't remember (laughs) anymore. But the Red Bull Ring. It's fairly short. It's 4.32 kilometers or 2.68 miles. It's 306.45 kilometers or just over 190.4 miles. 71 laps. Last year, we had Max on pole. The podium was Max, Bottas, and Lando. Fastest lap, like I said, is a short one. Fastest lap was uh, Max setting a 106.2. And if you look at uh, some of the uh, the other things, uh, Pirelli is bringing the softest tires in their in their range, tire compounds, that is, the C3 hides, C4 mediums, and the C5 softs. Guys, what do we expect to see on the pavement at the Red Bull Week, uh, Red Bull Wing? That's a, a mouthful all of a sudden. Red Bull Ring this weekend. Gosh, I got it out there. I need some more coffee or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to say 
I, you know, based on what we've seen, I, I think that uh, that this is going to be uh, Mercedes, or sorry, not Mercedes, but I think it's going to be Red Bull again. But it, it, it's it's really going to be interesting because Ferrari seem re- rejuvenated. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, Mercedes look rejuvenated. I mean, Carlos said it in the in the waiting room there before they went out for the podium ceremony. He looked at Lewis and he was like, "Are you guys back now?" Or whatever it was, something yeah, to that so effect. So, you know, as as much as I want to go, the easy answer is that, yeah, it's going to be Red Bull walking this one. I don't feel is that it's going to be as necessarily clear cut or as easy as that. What do you guys think? Am I on base here or not? Uh, well, for both Mercedes drivers, you know, hearing from them today, uh, both of them really downplayed their expectations for uh, doing extremely well, like podiuming here at uh, at Austria. But that being said, it's not out of the realm of possibility. We have seen some pretty wild races here, and I think for Mercedes, they're hoping that it's it's going to be a wet race because for them. They feel that if it's going to be a wet race, that gives them more opportunity to maybe even score a win uh, this weekend, which is something that, you know, we spoke with Lewis Hamilton about today. And, you know, he was telling us that, hey, look, at the beginning of the season and how far we were back from Ferrari and Red Bull, they had they, they believed that there was no chance this season for a win. But now with the upgrades that they've brought and the team finally understanding and one of the interesting thing was that he said is things are correlating not only on the racetrack but back at the factory so what they're doing on the racetrack is now making more sense what they're doing back at the factory and vice versa which is uh where they were lost you know at the first you know five six seven races of the season and now it's starting to make more sense for them uh, and which is a good thing i mean i think we need another team battling in uh, in this championship, um, if Red Bull decides that uh, Max Verstappen is going to run away with it, uh, mm-hmm. I think we do need another team to kind of spice this storyline uh, up a bit and give us a few different winners. Uh, maybe even get George Russell his first uh, win in a in a Formula uh, One race. But uh, I think Ferrari is going to be strong here. I really do. I think the amount of downforce that they run on that car. I think the the nature of this track. I think this is definitely going to be a Ferrari track. I really do. And and I think this has got to be. This has, if you're Ferrari and if you're Charles Leclerc, this has got to be a one-two Ferrari, and you got to hope that Sergio Perez gets that third. Yeah, you know what? I, I think that this would be a fun track to drive on. I mean, it, it, it's short, it's compact, but I mean, it's got uh, some nice fast sections to it. You know, you've got all the changes in elevation. I think that uh, it, it's. As much as I hate to say it, that I feel like we've been there a little bit too much in the last two years, but I'm not going to complain too much considering what we went through in those last two years that uh, at least uh, we were racing. But, it, you know, it is a fun race to, to, to watch. It is a fun track. And uh, it, it really has made for some memorable moments uh, over the last uh, number of years. Uh, Mark, what do you think? What, what are you going to be looking for this weekend? I a couple of things for starters. One, it's specifically that line of questioning or thought that Tim just had, which is who's going to come out better equipped for this race. Like ideally on paper, Red Bull should be very successful here, but this is a track that when you look at it logistically and you look at the footprint and you look at the elevation, this is also a place that Ferrari, you know, assuming everything goes well logistically and strategically, they could be very successful as well. And ultimately I said this last week selfishly, and I've got no dog in the race. I just want to see the champion go down to the wire. I would love to see Ferrari be successful this weekend because it extends the championship a little bit further. But having said that, I'm also not necessarily pessimistic that that isn't going to happen. I think Ferrari has 
every, every opportunity of being successful on this track. For those that are new to Formula One, and a lot of our listeners are, when you do see this track, when you see a layout, it doesn't look super complex. Like Daly said, it's a shorter track. There's only 10 corners. But the one thing that you don't experience until you see it on TV, and especially in purpose, is that this track is carved out of the side of a mountain. And Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's another track on the calendar that has as much elevation as this track, correct? Oh, yeah, no, this one's got quite a bit. Yeah, this is, there's quite a bit of elevation uh, here at, at at this track for sure, um, which is great. I mean, it's kind of like a roller coaster a roller coaster ride, right? And you never really... Yes, yes. <laughs> it's the best thing. It's the best thing. Uh, one of the other things that I found like quite interesting from some of our conversations earlier today is the is the Verstappen Hamilton uh, sort of we're starting to get a bit of a rekindling of a potential something going on here. If you recall back to the end of the British Grand Prix when Hamilton was asked about his dice with Charles Leclerc and you know, Hamilton responded with is much nicer, you know, racing him through cops than what had happened there last year, where it ended in tears for Max Verstappen being sent into the wall. Max was put the question today uh, about that, gi- giving him or letting him know what Lewis had said. And his response was, you know, I think it's quite nice to the 37 years of age, you can still learn how to hit an apex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it's uh, that is to me a very intriguing comment because I think that Mercedes is going to get a, a, a little closer in this championship, guys. Definitely. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's uh, it's over by a long shot. I think no. that uh, <laughs> I mean it, it might be um, from you know if you look at Max's point of view, but I think that there there's more to be said between Mercedes and Ferrari. I mean Ferrari need to turn it uh, around or just go home, so to speak, because you know the the longer that it kind of festers, the worse it's just going to get. And I just wanted to uh, help you know maybe get uh, a take from from both of you guys. If you're sitting on the Ferrari pit wall, if you're in Mattia Bonato's shoes this weekend, do you think that they make if if they get into one of these situations where it's kind of like sort of like 50-50 or uh, Charles is behind uh, uh, Carlos again and he's getting on the radio trying to, you know, plead his case. Do maybe some of these like um, 50-50 calls or some of these gray areas you want to call them, do you think maybe they jump on that a little bit quicker and maybe give give the benefit of the doubts to to Charles or give him the advantage, whatever you want to call it? You know, like give him a give him a, a a makeup or whatever you want to call it for some of the bad. You know, just kind of make him something to feel good about. Get in there, <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. I just, you know, I, I want to back this up a little bit because. Tim came with the T today, and I know he'd been sitting on that Max quote for the last four hours that we've been recording this <laughs> podcast, and I love it. And everyone knows that that I'm a Lewis fan, but Lewis may have ultimately been the one that 
triggered that comment. So after the Silverstone Grand Prix, Hamilton was actually being interviewed um, and they were asking about his battle with Charles and he battled with Charles in the exact same corner where that contact happened between Lewis and Max Verstappen last year. And he was asked, you know, how was that experience? And he said, referring to Charles Leclerc, that Leclerc's driving was sensible and a lot different, quote unquote, to what he experienced in the same corner the year before. So it's it's getting a little bit dishy, right? It's not just Max coming out (laughs) and taking shots at Hamilton. Like Hamilton set the groundwork for that quote. So I love it. And to that point, I would love nothing more than to see Mercedes get into this championship battle because we're starting to see the fires be stoked a little bit for this off-the-court drama, which keeps us talking and keeps the social media kind of engine buzzing throughout the course of the week. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those kind of like uh, juicy things that uh, everybody <laughs> loves to talk about. It's kind of a little bit of WWE SmackDown meets uh, Formula One without the folding chairs being thrown back and forth. Tim, do you mind if I just ask you a quick question? Yeah. You, you've had a ton of time with the drivers this week. You've been interviewing them. You've been in a lot of the media sessions. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like mentally, psychologically, Lewis seems to be in a totally different place than he was even a month ago. Like he just seemed dejected for the first eight races of the season. Like, is that something that you're picking up on? Is it obvious when he's doing his media responsibilities? Yeah, seems more uh, optimistic at the future with this with this race car. Right. And that's a scary thing. I think if you're the other teams as well, because then you kind of got to take a look at 2023 and you're like, Oh geez, you know, they actually have something here. Like is because I remember they were talking a big game when they came into Bahrain and they were talking about how, well, you know, in the CFD and in the wind tunnel, our car is seven seconds faster than you know, <laughs> everybody else. And everyone's like, Oh no. Right. And they released this car and it's got no side pods on it. Everyone's like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then it shows up and it's not very good. And so now you're looking at it where it's like, okay, they actually have, have something here. And I think if you're the other teams, you can see all the other teams starting to converge with what Red Bull and Ferrari are doing. Not so much taking the same direction that Mercedes is taking, where Williams kind of started on that path and now they've quickly you know, changed direction. So I think like for a team like Mercedes, it's going to get very interesting uh, in the next few races uh, to see just how invested they are in this design. They have sounded uh, like they are. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton is extremely optimistic about this car moving forward. Uh, so is George Russell. So uh, I think, yeah, if if Mercedes can get in this fight even more as we draw closer to the end of the season, I think 2023 is going to be very interesting, guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I, I, I kind of have to wonder, I keep asking myself this question, the more that we discuss Mercedes as we have over the past 15 minutes or so, is I can't help but wonder, are they sort of tempering expectations? Is a little bit of psychological warfare from from Lewis and George that uh, that you know maybe we we're, we're not as we're, we're we're just downplaying it, right? And then they're going to come out here and do a lot better than everyone's expecting. So maybe we'll start to wrap it up right here with some uh, predictions. And I, I'm going to call my podium. Uh, Lewis Hamilton going to win it. I'm going to say Charles Leclerc is going to come second. <laughs> and then third is going to be Max Verstappen. So this is either, for me, a brilliant call that nobody's expecting, or I'm just trolling everybody before we sign off uh, for tonight. I know Tim's eyes were just <laughs> as big as saucers and hammies were as well. So 
Tim, I can imagine just to, everybody's just to level just set here. here. <laughs> Daly's also predicting Kevin Durant's going to Sacramento. So oh, I don't know how I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, though, the whole talk about KD has sort of been going uh, back and forth for days now, hasn't it? Oh, wow. So so just a, that wasn't a joke. You're going all in on Lewis Hamilton in Austria. Woo! Yeah. I'm, I'm just getting tired of uh, predicting uh, Max Verstappen is going to win it, uh, you know, but I've been saying the same thing that I got tired of calling Lewis Hamilton was going to win races. So I, I appreciate the irony and the contradiction in my own predictions. So, Tim, what know. about you? Here's a story. Okay. Uh, well, if we're going to go with just like insane takes, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> my podium looks like George Russell for the win. Wow. Fernando Alonso second. Wow, Fernando. Okay, okay. We, we've lost all sort of like any sort of semblance of reasonable picks here. You know, in the live chat, Ben Nasta has said to me that uh, that Man United kit is clearly infecting Mark's brain. LOL. And uh, this comes uh, from from a guy that has a Liverpool uh, pictured as profile pick. So the uh, uh, you know the 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 the, the little jab there is uh, is is absolutely noted. So well done, Ben. So so Hammy, it's your turn Hold to on, get I in. I gotta there. give I mean, you my third. Oh, you gotta give me your, oh, your no. third. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Third, I'm going to be sensible, Charles Leclerc. Okay, okay. okay. So, so it's coming back to a little bit of sanity now, <laughs> Hammy. You, Tim, you I have the up. FIA on the phone. They would like their media credentials back. Never <laughs> <laughs> George Russell. Pick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I'm going to be a little bit less. Uh, I think I'll be a little less flamboyant with my uh, prediction, but I just I can't bet against. I can't bet against Max Verstappen. And let's be realistic. If he hadn't caught a piece of Alpha Terry under the side, under his car and the British Grand Prix, like the outcome of that race is fundamentally different. Right. And I think we're all quick to get excited about the fact that Carlos got his first win and there was Lewis on the podium. Uh, But ultimately Max had every right to win that race and something happened. He got a chunk of carbon fiber stuck under his floor um, and that robbed potentially a podium from him. So I think everything going right. um, I don't necessarily want to see it because I want to see the championship a little bit wider open, but I have every confidence in him being successful here. He knows this track inside and out. Red Bull owns the track. They do a ton of sim work here. They're there in the off season. They do their photo sessions there. He knows it inside out. I have every reason to think he's going to be uh, a race winner come Sunday if it's dry. And if you look at the forecast right now, Tim, you alluded to this a little bit earlier. There could be some moisture in the in the uh, in the clouds come Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. If you want the sensible pick, go with Hamilton. If you want something a little bit more flamboyant, as Mark so put it so uh, politically correct, go with either my, <laughs> my my picks or Tim's picks. I can't remember what would you say, Kevin Magnuson for the win? Was that it? Was that <laughs> was that you're going with Tim? George Russell. <laughs> George Russell. <laughs> anyway, so here we go. We got uh, Ben is uh, his picks in the live chat. Charles, Max, and Lando. I kind of like that show for Lando. He's run there pretty good over the past couple of years. So certainly, I can you can throw his name into the mm-hmm. conversation. Maybe. It would be a little bit unexpected just based where they've been this year, but certainly Lando has had success here mm-hmm. in in the past. But guys, I think that's a pretty good place to uh, to wrap it up. Before we go, Tim, let everybody know where they can uh, find you online and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can get me on social media at Tim Haraney, and then also uh, you can listen to TSN Racing Pod wherever you get your your podcasts. 
Awesome. And uh, we, of course, are Scootery F1 Pod. You can find us on Twitter using that handle. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, everywhere else. And that's it. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mark Hamilton and Tim Haraney from the TSN Racing Pod, enjoy the race. Enjoy the sprint. Enjoy qualifying. It should be a fun one. And we'll be back on Sunday night to recap this one. Until then, have a great weekend and talk to you guys again very, very soon. Bye for now.